Unfortunately, I see gaslighting all the time, at least once a day in my practice. Oh, so good. often, yeah, oftentimes um, women come to me because they know intuitively something is wrong. They're not feeling right. Welcome to The Scaries, brought to you by Raise Her Curl. I'm Sky, And I'm Talitha. We are proudly broadcasting from Treaty 4 territory here in Regina. In each episode, we tackle alarming, inconceivable, questionable, shocking, and scary statistics relating to impacting and intervening with the lives of women and girls worldwide. You'll hear the scary truths, takeaway tools, tips, and learn about what you can do about it. And The Scaries is an opportunity uh, to share resources, bring awareness, and collectively use our power as women and supporters of women to make some real change. Um, we'd like to note that the opinions shared on this podcast are solely our own, and this is for entertainment purposes only. Also, we will be sharing some potentially triggering content statistics, so please listen with caution. As straight, cisgendered, white, able-bodied settler women, we are aware of the privilege we have, and we want to use this platform to spread awareness about the scary reality women from around the world face in different life situations. And why? Because sometimes nothing is scarier than being a woman. So for today's episode, we will be discussing gaslighting that women face specifically around their personal health care and why this topic. So when we think about what what are the stories, what are the discussions we have with our community, this mm-hmm. topic comes up a ton mm-hmm. um, and with people of all ages. Uh, recently, we were actually um, speaking in a university social policy class mm-hmm. and this came up like a number of times by young university students. And we talked about gender policies that exist and that don't exist and need to be created. And this was one that a lot of young women held their hand up like this needs to be a policy because Mm -hmm. every time I go to the doctor, it's either I'm crazy or I'm pregnant or the two diagnoses we get when we go there for like a cough. Um, So yeah, this is a big issue um, and it may be happening to you and you might not even know it because Mm -hmm. you don't know what the signs of gaslighting are. So Mm -hmm. those are the things we're going to get into today to help you help yourself and help others. Mm -hmm. So how does it what is gaslighting? How does it take shape? Uh, we'll get into the definition in a second here, yeah. but um, gaslighting can take shape in many ways from minimization and dismissal of your concerns to emotional manipulation and blaming your symptoms on mental health, um, labeling you as a hypochondriac or belittling you or using patronizing language, which is a common one. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. No, no, not quite right. You're not the doctor here. Exactly. Yeah. Or just straight out invalidating your pain. Like, hmm, that that's normal. Like you're supposed to have bleeding constantly. Like that's not yeah. normal. And so like, throw up when you're in pain, having a period or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So those are some of the ways um, we experience gaslighting as women and just in general, gaslighting mm-hmm. can show up in healthcare. Yeah. So, and also one of the reasons why this episode is kind of so early in our season and mm-hmm. in our podcast is because uh, it's something that I've been through quite a bit in our healthcare system. Um, And the more people that I've talked to about my personal experience, um, the more I realized I wasn't alone, which was actually like validating. Totally. But like when you're in like a silo and don't want to talk to anybody about it, it can get a little bit scary. Um, And 
we'll get into like, again, the definition, as Skylar said, but I am a very aware person. I think I'm very self-aware. Um, I trust my gut and my judgment a lot to lead me through life, like to be a parent, how to interact with people, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and when it comes to my health, but when it comes to my health, rather, I definitely rely on experts because mm-hmm. I don't know everything. Right. Um, but it often leaves me feeling like confused and crazy. Um, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. And it's something that I, again, we've talked and we've said that it, ta- it impacts a lot of people. Um, I was feeling so fr- frustrated with my like healthcare experience that I actually sought out, um, a different kind of expert. I sought out a naturopathic uh, doctor to help me because I had heard from lots of other people that they had gone to see a naturopathic doctor and just felt like if anything heard, mm-hmm. like I heard from multiple people, they were yeah. like, I actually just feel heard. Like I feel seen, I feel understood, I feel valued. And I was like, mm, the human experience. Right. I felt human. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, so we're actually going to be talking to that naturopathic doctor in this episode, just about kind of like the gaslighting that she sees, mm-hmm. some things that you can do. Um, she does represent the naturopathic side of it. So uh, while she's not like a medical doctor in hospitals and that sort of thing, um, she has all the skills and the knowledge to like walk people through their healthcare journey. And uh, that was something that was like probably the most empowering for me was just having someone believe me and like, and then also getting like the tests and diagnoses that are like, yeah, no, like you are vitamin D deficient. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Feels great. So anyways, um, I think though important uh, while people I think have heard the term a lot, let's maybe define what gaslighting yeah. is. So gaslighting in general, it's kind of a buzzword. I mm-hmm. feel like I hear it on all the reality shows. Yeah. Totally you're- gaslighting me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, essentially, it's um, people cr- making you think that you're crazy. So in the technical terms, it is manipulating someone using psychological methods such as questioning their own san- sanity or powers of reasoning. So essentially, people th- treating you like you're crazy by asking you like patronizing questions. Mm-hmm. and um, Or like, I don't think that's your experience. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so medical gaslighting specifically has its roots in a hysteria. So oftentimes in the past, women were diagnosed as hysterical. hysterical. Um, so I'm not going to get into the, like all the terms of which journal of medicine this came from, but it was a catch-all literally a catch-all that blame women's physical symptoms on their mental health. And while doctors don't hand out hysteria diagnoses anymore, women are still gaslit into thinking that their illness oftentimes is because of stress, anxiety, or a mental health disorder. And I would also add um, that it's like, you just have an irregular cycle mm-hmm. or like, it's just your period coming or like other things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, along with this research that I uh, mentioned, it also shows that women in chronic pain are more likely to be considered hysterical, emotional, and lying about their pain compared to men. Lying. Mm-hmm. We just want to make it, we just want attention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just looking into like the history of this, obviously we love this. Mm-hmm. Um, the term gaslighting comes from the title of a 1944 film adaptation of a play, uh, which portrays the manipulative attempts of a jewel thief to take possession of his wife's riches through a mm-hmm. wide range of acts designed to uh, make her look 
and be diagnosed as insane, including lies, isolation, double talk, and uh, really terrible things like restaging household objects to be like, that plant was always in the corner. What are you talking about? Right. Um, so it gained popularity in the Anglo-American or psychology throughout the 1980s and 90s as like a popular cultural heuristic for addressing emotional abuse sustained in intimate partner relationships. So going back to episode one. Yeah. Um, and so when researching this episode and talking with others about their own experiences about being gaslit, it often comes down to mostly for women anyways, um, reproductive organs and cycles and hormones and all of that things that are can be blamed um, when something more serious or maybe entirely unrelated is going on, mm -hmm. which led me to find Mr. James Marion Sims. So mm. let me just drop Who's some he? knowledge. <laughs> He's um he's a he's a guy. He's he's done some things. Mm. So he's credited as the father of modern gynecology. Okay. Um and I think that's what we definitely needed was a father of gynecology. <laughs> um, he developed pioneering tools and, and surgical techniques related to women's reproductive health. So in 1876, he was named president of the American Medical Association. And then he became the president of the American Gyneco Gynecological Society um, that he actually founded. And in the 19 he was a 19th century physician that has been like people have put statues up around because oh, wow. they were like, wow, he's so amazing. Hmm. But his research was conducted on enslaved black women without anesthesia, without any pain meds. So medical ethicists and historians and others say that his use of black bodies as medical test subjects falls into a long ethically lacking oh, history. Huge. Like I feel like isn't, I mean, I don't know when like the Hippocratic Oath came out, but it was like the first thing is, do, do no, no harm. harm. Yeah. And like he was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, um, so, so many things wrong with that. I don't even know where to begin. Oh, I know. And so, actually, like, again, and I don't actually have all the stats on this, but like, I was read when I was reading about this, it was that's like also why, um, very different women and like there's like so many intersectional issues with mm -hmm. women accessing healthcare because they're like, that you the history of this is like that you just didn't care about my body mm -hmm. and in fact um he he had this notion when he was operating on women or his, his these black enslaved women that black people did not feel pain oh that's like his reasoning because he knows it. he knew he's a black woman he's a black woman <laughs> and so he could say i know so arguably the uh, the modern understanding then and a study of women's reproductive health was based on an extremely racist notion oh, that huge. lacked any trust and any actual education like clearly they yeah. weren't he did not know there was no. no studies done on that to know oh absolutely no black women doctors so. well and i think that's like i mean we're not going to get into this but like <laughs> it's like just the whole problem with oh, like huge. the medical healthcare system is that they're like we're just going to poke and prod and like test and like that's what anyways yeah so tell me some scary statistics oh, i really scary can't wait so studies have shown that compared to men Women face longer waits to be diagnosed with cancer and heart disease. Beautiful. Longer waits uh, are treated less aggressively for traumatic brain injuries. What? Why? Uh, are less likely to be offered pain medications. Why? Just because yeah. we have a better pain tolerance because we have babies? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, people of color often receive poor quality care. Why? Doctors are more likely to describe black patients as uncooperative or noncompliant. Why? Which, why? All of these are why, why, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and research suggests 
which affects their treatment quality. Um, yeah. Women say uh, doctors frequently blame their health problems on their mental health. Like we Mm -hmm. shared weight or lack of self-care. So it's just, it's a you problem. Like maybe you just need to go on a diet or stop smoking, stop drinking that five glasses of wine or whatever it is. Sometimes you need it though to like get through (laughs) gaslighting that you're experiencing. Yeah. Um, more than ever these days. Um, and research suggests that women are twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with a mental illness with, when their symptoms are consistent with heart disease. So oh, there you go. Right there. Case in point. You're like, you just have anxiety. Don't worry about it. And you're like, oh, is that why my heart, heart is beating exactly. like irregularly? I'm having shooting pains. Yeah. Mm. Cool. One study actually shows that middle-aged women with chest pain were twice as likely to be diagnosed with mental illness than their male cu- counterparts. Another study found that women and people in color, uh, people of color who visited emergency rooms with chest pain waited longer to be seen by a doctor. So similar to what I said before. So yeah. it's just... Why? I feel like I've heard so much about um, the specifically heart attacks because they actually like show up differently in women than in men. Yeah. Um, And then women are just left with nothing. Right. So why are women more likely to be misdiagnosed or dismissed by doctors? Well, women may be misdiagnosed more often than men in part because scientists know far less about the female body than they do the male body. Just straight up don't care. Yeah. (laughs) straight up we're like we don't we don't know They're just male doctors in the past probably study their own like oh yeah because it was them like i only really care about myself yeah like, totally be honest feels Self, like that. i don't know but i'm taking it you know i feel like we could be researchers and medical doctors and our and our very valid opinions this is what it feels like mm-hmm. um so in fact in 1977 the u.s food and drug administration began recommending that scientists exclude women of childbearing years from early clinical drug trials fearing that if they enrolled women or sorry if the enrolled women became pregnant the research could potentially harm their fetuses mm. but they were also concerned that the hormonal function fu- fluctuations could muddle study results so like i think they were like oh we don't want to worry about the baby but really yeah, we don't want all of our hard work to like right. go to waste on a woman yeah so today, thanks in large part to a law passed in 1993. That 1993? Means, I yeah. feel like 1993 was yesterday, even though it was like 30 years ago. <laughs> I know. Someone, this is a side story. Someone actually told me recently that like now it compared to the 90s is what people in the 90s felt like to the 60s. And I was like, no, no, I refuse to believe that. <laughs> But it's the same. Anyways, so in 1993, which is like, I mean, within our lifetime, we were very young. We Mm -hmm. were practically babies. But um, in 1993, this law mandated that women and equity deserving groups be included in medical research funded by the National Institutes of Health. So women are more systematically included in studies, yet there are still huge knowledge gaps. I still don't. I can't believe 1993. Like that was in our lifetime. That they just passed a law to ensure that women and be women studied. of all intersectional yeah. groups were had to be studied. Yeah. Like it just That's yeah, that's scary to me. Well, and I mean like arguably like our parents, yeah. They were taking medication. Like my mom was taking medication, maybe. Right. That was like not studied on like how it impacts women. Right, exactly. You know? Cute. Um, So again, going back to heart disease, for instance, women with heart disease often have different symptoms, as we said, from men with heart disease, yet doctors are much more familiar with the male symptoms. Um, And 
uh, this is a quote from a doctor, a cardiologist who said, when women show up with symptoms that don't fit the algorithm we're taught in medical school, they get gaslight, gaslit and ignored. Straight up. So yeah, you're like, the the non-typical things that show up, they are like, no, 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 it's not a heart. It's a whatever. It's a, you're to have anxiety. Well, and you got to wonder what's taught in medical school, right? So like how old are those textbooks? I'm pretty sure not they're not rewriting textbooks every day because doctors no. have nothing else to do but write textbooks. Right. They're kind of busy. <laughs> so how old are the textbooks? What are they getting taught? Like it's just a systematic yeah. historical problem if they're not ever adding these research, these trials into exactly. the textbooks and then doctors are being taught, not taught about it. And yeah. then this saga continues. It continues. Well, we should speak to an expert about it. <sighs> yeah, I agree. Okay. So as I mentioned before, we have a very special guest with us today, Dr. Michaela Radish. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having Welcome. me. I'm very excited to have Michaela. As I mentioned, she is actually my naturopathic doctor. So um, I feel like she has lots of deep, dark secrets about me um, <laughs> that she can hold against me if she wants to. Uh, but uh, for those who don't know her, she is a naturopathic doctor and co-owner of Thrive Naturopathic here in Regina. After struggling for years with her own health issues, her determination for answers and investigative nature is what drew her to pursue naturopathic medicine. She has a passion for empowering women and men to take control of their health autonomy, to be educated and well-informed in their health decisions, which is why she has a strong emphasis on education in her practice. And outside of work, she recently stepped into a new role a mom to a four-month-old oh, <laughs> who is the greatest joy of her life. So again, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, so with our guests, we do some rapid-fire questions just to get things rolling. Um, so first rapid-fire question, best advice you've ever received? This was a tough one. I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, in what area of my life, professionally, personally, mm -hmm. but in general, I think trusting my intuition because mm -hmm. um, I have a really strong intuitive sense. So being able to tap into that with patients, using that in addition to my education, with um, parenting, in my personal life. Um, so I've so far it's worked out. Awesome. <laughs> like it's worked out so far in my yeah, life. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Um, okay. The next is a would you rather. Um, so would you rather practice naturopathic medicine now in 2023, knowing what you know, or would you go back in time and change how women's bodies were studied? Oh, great question. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm that strong personality that could have had a really big influence on things back then. So maybe it could have been like a trailblazer in terms of women's health. So even though I love practicing now, I think going back and making a change would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know you that well, but I was like, I think she's going to choose the second one because she would have... <laughs> Been, she would have knocked down all these men who decided to study our bodies in not a great way. Exactly. <laughs> Subject us to weird interventions. Exactly. Yes. Oh. Just call us crazy. Um, okay. And then the last question is, what is your scary? So you're scary in like any part of life. 
um, right now, my scary kind of relates to professional and personal because um, the current federal government is imposing really strict legislation on natural health products. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that everyone should be concerned about this because the access to these products will be extremely difficult. This includes even like the basics of a vitamin D or oh, protein God. powders. Like the what? Yeah. Why? Yeah. So um, that health autonomy, I feel like, will be hugely jeopardized. So that's my. Oh, that's one. terrifying. I have not yeah. heard that. And that scares me. Yeah. yeah. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like vitamin D, even like when you have a baby, they're like, give your baby well, vitamin D. And like <laughs> Saskatchewan, we, everyone yeah. has to be on. Exactly. Like, we're all deficient vitamin D. So, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's Stock wild. up now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Literally go to Thrive Naturopathic. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, Okay, so diving into our more intense questions uh, Mm -hmm. regarding the scaries that women face and gaslighting in healthcare. Can you briefly describe, first of all, what is naturopathic medicine for those who maybe don't know? And then just a bit about your qualifications to like set the tone for the conversation. So we're not just Skylar and I chatting, but we have a real expert here with us. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Um, So I like to describe naturopathic medicine as the combination between Western conventional medicine and then more Eastern principles trying to do things as least invasive as possible. Um, I actually do a lot of invasive therapies in my practice with IVs and injections, but it's definitely not necessary. We focus a lot on dietary concerns and kind of modifications there, lifestyle modifications, Mm -hmm. supplements, herbs. So we tend to do things away from the pharmaceutical realm. And the whole principle is getting to the root cause of Mm -hmm. health. In terms of education, um, you need a degree to get into naturopathic medicine. So my degree is in kinesiology and health studies. I study at the U of R. And um, then I went to Toronto. There's two schools in Canada. So I decided to go to Toronto. Um, and then it's a four-year degree there. Um, so yeah, that's and then we write licensing exams and all the same thing as a medical doctor would, but yeah, that's kind of the gist. Yeah, no, that awesome. makes perfect sense. Thank you. So she's a very qualified, ladies and gentlemen, in days. <laughs> um, she's got it going on. Thanks. Anyways, over to you, Skylar. For sure. Okay. So now we're gonna get, get into the real scary stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the most common types? circumstances you see in your work um, of women facing gaslighting? Unfortunately, I see gaslighting all the time, at least once a day in my practice. Oh, so good. often, yeah, <laughs> oftentimes um, women come to me because they know intuitively something is wrong. They're not feeling right. And then we, you know, go through the health history, we look at e-health, we go through their blood work. And oftentimes it's like, well, maybe you had their own investigations and there is something deeper here that you weren't informed of. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you had zero investigations and you went to your medical doctor and they basically told you, you know, you're young, nothing's wrong, it's all in your head and you have anxiety. Or um, they don't do any sort of testing to actually see. Or the testing that they do is so minimal that there's no way that 
anything would come back abnormal. Mm -hmm. So I see kind of all layers of that. And so my job, like I, we said in the beginning, is to really educate people on what I find, what their symptoms mean. And then oftentimes I'm encouraging them to either do testing and we can pay for testing through me privately or go to their medical doctor and advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then I also try to outline kind of why we're asking for certain things and why those things will point to a diagnosis if that's what I'm um, aiming for. So I see it a lot, especially with um, hormonal concerns. Mm -hmm. I recently in the last year or so, I think it's because I was pregnant, kind of attracted um, fertility as a concern. So I see a lot of um, infertility and oftentimes zero investigations are done with that until, you know, women have to experience X amount of losses before we look into things which just feel so wrong. Mm -hmm. um, like how traumatic is that that they're like, you have to experience this many miscarriages before we do anything. And exactly. like, you're like, okay, well, I, so I need to have another one. And they're like, yes. Yeah. Yes. You must experience one more miscarriage. And you're like, mm, yeah, that seems good you. for my mental yeah. health. Yeah, right. <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. That's, I don't yeah, think anyone who made that as a rule has ever experienced a miscarriage. No. Yeah. They must not have because it just does not seem logical. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of um, hormonal concerns, even digestive concerns, um, just in general, women have that intuition, um, men as well, but of course, yeah, tapping into that and um, then just being shut down. Mm -hmm. So I think something that um, really gets me is like, we're always like women, especially are like, trust your intuition and trust your gut and everything. Because I think for so long, we have been gaslit and whether it's like traditional gaslighting in whatever way, but it's like, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm the expert. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so like now that there's, I don't want to say like a new wave, but there is all these women coming up and they're like, I, I do know what's going on in like my life or my body or my brain or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then we're, then we go to like our doctor and we're like, I'm very sure that like this is not normal. And they're like, mm, you just have anxiety and you're probably on your period. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. like, Mm, okay. <laughs> yep. It's so feels common. good. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, really nice to hear. So you've <laughs> talked a little bit about um, like how you see it come up. How, in your experience, how prevalent is medical gaslighting in particular in our healthcare system, particularly when it comes to women's health concerns? Unfortunately, like I was saying, I think that it happens a lot, um, and I I don't know why if it's stemming from an education standpoint like are we needing to go into medical schools and mm -hmm. provide more education on that front mm -hmm. is it because medical doctors are so overwhelmed and they don't have the time to really ask the important right. questions and that's where i'm really blessed in my practice where my initial visits are 90 minutes so right. i really get to spend a lot of time with my patients and ask a lot of those questions and really go into a lot of different areas of their health. So I don't necessarily blame medical doctors. I mm -hmm. think that they're in a restricted system. Um, but unfortunately, it happens all the time. Yeah, I think it's a very prevalent issue. And like you said, systemic, like yeah. it's, it, the system needs to be broken down in order to repair that what people are facing, specifically women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So what are some of the common, I guess, signs or red flags that we as women should be 
looking for in terms of like, how do we spot when we're being gaslit? Um, <clears throat> and what can we like, I guess we'll get into it later. Like what should we do about it? But yeah, how do we spot? Like what are the common experiences that we should be watching for? I think um, most importantly, like getting shut down mm -hmm. when you go to an appointment, it's like, oh, like feeling defeated after an appointment. You should feel empowered when you walk out of a visit like okay yes finally something is going to happen i'm taking action and it takes a lot of courage to book an appointment with any medical professional mm -hmm. and i think a lot of women go to these appointments and then they're defeated mm -hmm. so um that's definitely a huge red flag um not having any investigations ran so no blood work no offering to do a colonoscopy if um digestive concerns are present um not really asking questions for example you go with hormonal concerns no questions about your period mm -hmm. <laughs> that sounds like a red flag mm -hmm. probably right. be asking about that <laughs> um and yeah. then just being offered birth control or some sort of medication without yeah. getting to the root like that is so common how many of us when we were in our teens were put on birth control for like 15 years mm -hmm. i was not informed of any of the negative side no. effects of birth control nope. even now when i go to my physician it's like oh are you on birth control oh here and yeah like, well there's a lot of other ways like to candy like they just give it yeah. out and it's the first thing like yeah in your six-week appointment postpartum yeah i recently had a baby too that's all they want to do is just like yeah. okay so what birth control you want like can we get you an iud but a lot like that's all we want to do all right i know it's so confusing yeah. Yeah. i went when i was this is like gonna be tmi so just listen up and watch <laughs> out um but when i was like 15 i had excruciating periods where like my like i would be like sweating in pain and like throwing up because i was in so much pain and like i would take like three extra strength like muscle relaxants and like still just be like like writhing in pain mm. um and so went to the doctor and they were like yeah just like use a cold compress and like put some heat on it and i was like I, I don't mm. think this is normal. And then like also my period was like, I would get it for like three weeks and then I would like mm. not get it for three months. And like, it was just so crazy. So immediately, like instead of like doing anything else, they were like, let's put you on birth control and like right. that'll save you. And then I was on it for like 15 years. Yeah. And, and not so getting like, to the root. No. So like I'm, anything. So my body, I think yeah. is still like, I don't know how to regulate my own hormones. Like, I don't know what we're doing. I'm waiting for you to like put a pill inside of me and we'll deal with it that way. Yeah. Just suppress. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my thing is like, this isn't me specifically, but my kids. So I have two young kids and whenever we go to the doctor, it's like, okay, they look at them. I tell them their symptoms and they write a prescription. I'm like, so what do they have? Mm -hmm. Like right. they don't even tell you. They're like, yes. yeah, here you go. I'm like, but what do they have? Like, what's yeah. the problem? Yeah. I'm like, is it contagious? Can they go to daycare? Like give right. me all the things, but yes. like, that's it. Yeah. They don't even tell you what they have. Just like, here's yeah. a pill. Mm -hmm. No education. No. no. Yeah. And I know. Like, you talked about it like being an advocate for your own health. And I mean, and like my mom always says this, she's a nurse by like a registered nurse by trade. Um, and she's like, you have to be the CEO of your own healthcare mm -hmm. system, like of your own healthcare and like your own body and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and, but if you don't have that type of personality, that's yeah. like, I'm going to demand answers, totally. like whether or not, like then, then you're yeah. SOL, like you're kind of put to the wolves and right. like, you're going to go through the ringer of, I don't know what, like, being misdiagnosed being yeah. missed something and and then there's this like power complex mm -hmm. almost that mm -hmm. you have to really 
know your stuff because then they almost question you and like, oh, how do you know this? Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, that's why I try to have patience, which is really unfortunate. Um, you should be able to go in with the concern and be like, okay, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. We do these investigations. Um, but I try to really prepare patients for that, which is another unfortunate part about my profession is that you have to pay for it. And not, mm-hmm. a lot of people cannot afford that. Yeah. And so what do we do when someone doesn't have any sort of medical background? Well, they fall through the cracks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they're getting these diagnoses way later that could have been caught, but because they're trusting the mm-hmm. professionals, but nothing is really being done. And I think that's where we get into a lot of issues and costing our healthcare system so much more. Exactly. Yeah. Because then they then they start like shopping around and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, well, I'm going to go to this walk-in clinic because I didn't get an answer from this one. And then I'm yeah. going to go to this one. And like, and then you're also missing that holistic approach where like, I know you can access people's like records, but like... I'm sure not everything is charted or like yeah. the yeah. real reason why they came in of like, they said that their head was bugging them, but like I gave them like an antacid cause it was probably actually, you know, like, I don't yeah. actually know. I'm obviously not a doctor, <laughs> but like it just seems like it's like not connected at all. And so then when yes. they go and their head's still bugging them and they're like, no, that's not, you know, you still need another antacid. And then like, it just like, yeah. Yeah. Progresses. Yes, exactly. Um, so and I feel like, I mean, I could answer this question, but, but probably not as well as you will. But my next question is, how does medical gaslighting impact a woman's mental and emotional well-being? Mm-hmm. And then what are some long-term effects that may arise from this experience? Yeah, I think that, unfortunately, um, again, I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but it is so no. unfortunate. Um that women feel defeated and feel crazy. Mm-hmm. Because they're told that nothing is wrong and that, oh, well, you look healthy or, yeah, it is all in your head. So I've had women get really emotional in a visit mm-hmm. where that it, was me. Right, she's and, not, I don't know if she's talking about me, but I also, I, I cried. Yeah. And lots of women have that experience because finally they're like, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I knew there was something wrong. And mm-hmm. it's like, yes, unfortunately, you did not have the thorough investigation that you deserved. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like a lot of women feel, yeah, crazy and defeated and they don't want to go to their doctor, which then, again, perpetuates this cascade of things being diagnosed and them struggling alone, mm-hmm. then contributing to their mental health and then getting prescribed a medication that they actually don't need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so that has so many trickling down effects. And I think it happens with women and their children. I just had a patient this week, she came in and she's like, I knew something was wrong with my son, took him to the doctor. And he told her that she has to have another child <laughs> to stop focusing on the <laughs> what? what? Stop like, focusing on your kid. Just have another one yeah, and you'll just be have good. another one so that you're not hyper-focused on this one. Whoa. Oh my God. That's so helpful. Uh-huh. I wow. I just can't even how nice for your son to hear. Oh, yeah. Right? Don't worry about me, mommy. Like <laughs> she cares too much about yeah. you. So yeah. you need to have another one. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible advice. Yes, it is. It's just unbelievable. I know from my own health experience when I was younger in my early 20s, I was suffering with my own health concerns. And I went to my doctor and she put me on a medication. I was like, it just doesn't make sense to me Mm -hmm, that I'm going to be on this medication for forever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just 
doesn't that doesn't make, seem yeah. right. And I remember crying in her office being like, something is not right. And she's like, well, at least you're not dying. Oh. And I was like, this is just not. Mm-hmm. I just not feel like okay. that like death is like not the comparables. No. no. Like you can't compare the two. Right. So that's actually what prompted me to go see a naturopathic doctor. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wow, okay. And then I looked more into their education. And so that's what started my health journey too, was dealing with my own health struggles. I think patients can relate to that because you feel, yeah, just so defeated mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely defeating. And like why people cry mm-hmm. when you're like, oh my God, like that was me. I was like, oh my God, I actually feel like seen, heard, like valued. And that's yeah. ridiculous mm-hmm. when it comes to the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say names, but like I know somebody who, and she has told the story a couple times. So I don't think I'm like breaching confidentiality. Also, I'm not a medical doctor, as I said, so <laughs> I don't have a confidentiality agreement. But um, she was like dealing with really, really intense headaches, like like in such intense migraines that she like kept going to her doctor and it was like every single day, like she would like black out and like it was like mm-hmm. absolutely crazy. So she went to um, like her doctor and then she got went to a neurologist and they were like, you're going to have to be on this like seizure medication for the rest of your life because of like something going on in your brain and whatever else. And she, same thing that you just said, was like, that's not acceptable. Like, I just don't think that this is it. Um, anyway, so then she was like, I just, I really feel like it's my hormones. Like, I think something's, something's going on with my hormones. And uh, so anyways, she like just self-prescribed herself um, like a natural hormone support and her headaches went away like oh within like 10 days. Wow. And she's not, wow. and like she dealt with that for like a year. And then was like, I just really think it's my hormones. And the doctor was like, no, no, honey, you don't know how that works. Yeah. And so then, yeah, you prescribed her. And, oh, yeah. and I think the thing that prompted her to do that was because she went to go fulfill this prescription for the seizure, seizure medication. And it was $900 every oh, two weeks Lord. or like five mm-hmm. to $900 every two weeks. And she was like, I, I can't afford this. Like no. who can? No kidding. And yeah. So I just, yeah, it's like. Wow. wow. Ridiculous. We actually asked important questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We actually get important answers. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> that works. Weird. That works. <laughs> weird. Weird. Okay. So are there any specific, like you said, this happens a lot, unfortunately, and what you see specifically with women. So are there any commonalities in like the symptoms or um, the conditions that you see most often gaslit? Definitely anything to do with periods, mm-hmm. um, like heavy periods, cramping. It's like, mm, it's normal. Um, <laughs> another one that I see super commonly is women going through menopause. Yeah. And they're, everyone <clears throat> is like, oh, oh, every medical doctor yeah. for the most part. I'm generalizing. <laughs> There's some good ones out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but oftentimes they're met with, this is just a part of menopause. So you're going to have to deal with it. The hot flashes, the vaginal dryness, all these things like that bleeds into so many other areas of your life, like intimacy. And yeah. so yeah. they're just left struggling again. Um, so definitely fertility, um, anything to do with menstruation, and menopause is probably the most common that I see in my practice. Okay. And like, how awful is that, that then you're just made to feel crazy, like you said, mm-hmm. where it's like, or like, you just have to deal with vaginal dryness. And like, that just is like a you problem and not a me problem. And it's yeah. like, you you can do stuff about that. Yeah. Like, there's things that you can do. And exactly. Yeah. It's, I think, just really sad and scary. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that... um I, like when I was having a baby and so like I was pregnant and it happened during the pandemic. And so like, I think most people were like, we don't want to talk to you and see you in person. Um, and I 
like was going through like my like um, birth class and they were like, there's just so much that people don't know about like at pregnancy and then also birth. And like, mm-hmm. so like every single time you go in, they're like, we don't know what to expect and like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that just seems really unreasonable considering like we've been like people have been giving birth for millennia yeah and like they're like we still don't know like it yeah. can just anything can happen right and it's just because obviously like specifically birth givers have not been studied in a way that like actually is productive instead they're like scared of it because yes. obviously mostly it was like men who were doctors for a very long time mm-hmm. so exactly no yeah. shade to men but like shade yeah and looking in the history of birth it was like reading up on that i learned about that in my hypnobirthing class that it's pretty scary what they were doing to women, like oh, basically yeah. just sedating them, strapping them down to a bed and going for it, mm-hmm. um, which is if this was happening to men, I think we would have a lot further advancements oh, in yeah. a lot of different areas. Um, but that's just not the case as we yeah. know. So yeah. no, they're like, here, just have an Advil and yeah. like, <laughs> good luck. Take a mite all. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Perfect. (laughs) So as a naturopath, how do you approach working with patients who've experienced medical gaslighting and what strategies do you use to rebuild trust for them in their healthcare journey? Um, Definitely in my practice, I want to focus on patients' empowerment. So again, coming back to that education piece where this is why we want certain things. Mm -hmm. This is why um, maybe we're dealing with hormonal conditions. Okay, this is the testing that would be best for you. And um, whether that's paying out of pocket or pushing um, for advocating for yourself through a medical doctor, um, I really want to explain the why because mm-hmm. I feel like when people understand that, then they're able to take that information and do with it what they want. Mm-hmm. Do they want to act on it? Maybe. Do they not? I mean, they can do with that what they will, but at least they have that knowledge to make that decision and that's health autonomy. That's true. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, You know, so if they, then that also leads them to feel more confident to have those conversations with their provider, understanding why we do certain things. And a lot of times I'll actually give research papers because Oftentimes, medical doctors are like, well, you Googled this. It's like, no, this is actually medical evidence. Mm -hmm. How can you know of something if you're not willing to look at it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this exists. Um, Here it is. Here's the evidence. And so I can provide my patients with those resources to have those conversations. Unfortunately, right now in Saskatchewan, I can't prescribe. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we need those providers on Mm -hmm. board. And a lot of them are willing to prescribe things or be open to it when we have that research. They just need that information. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really disheartening when I give that information to patients and the provider isn't even willing to look at it. That's just something that I can't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't know if it's a time thing or what that's about, but really trying to educate the patient and then sometimes the provider and working together. Like, Can we not just work as a team Mm -hmm. for this patient to get them the best care. And maybe I'm going to teach you about this new piece of research. Why aren't we willing to try it? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think also like in the medical system, things are changing like every day for Mm -hmm. sure. Like, so it's just, again, unreasonable to be like, no, that's just not how it was done 10 years ago. And it's like, like, well, like everything. Yeah. Like, come on. 
Let's the, keep learning. Like even I think about like other diagnoses, like for cancer research and that sort of thing. It's like even how they would approach like breast cancer is entirely different than they did 10 years ago because mm-hmm. or like five years ago, I'm sure, yeah. just because things have changed so much. So yeah. like um, and I understand that, you know, like medical professionals are like within like that Western kind of side are so overwhelmed and like mm-hmm. I, I would say especially family doctors I'm like yes. I feel for you because yeah. the amount of people that they see the amount of things that they see like they can't be experts on anything mm-hmm. and I don't think that's what we're saying it's just yeah. that like being willing to learn yeah, also yeah. and like follow me along and like maybe you do have this like very rare thing but yeah. like try learn about it and yeah. like let's just find a path together well and also like don't be afraid to um refer to an expert like why your family doctor doesn't have to have all the answers no exactly yeah i'm super lucky my family doctor like immediately when there's anything sends us to an expert like any everything and everything which is amazing but like yeah what what's wrong like do all the tests in the panel why are we scared to test like what's the problem Mm Don't know. Like, we pay the taxes. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Come on. That's Let one thing have. I tell my patients. I'm like, it oftentimes they don't want to do it because it costs money. Yeah. So, but you pay for healthcare because yeah. you pay taxes. And you yeah. don't just it pay a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. No, costs cost the system. It costs the system, yeah. but like, yeah, that's how they but, get like, that's paid. That's what it's so, there for yeah. to keep Let's, people healthy. So yeah. <laughs> prevention. Yeah, exactly. that's not their no model. No, like Skylar and I have talked a lot about that proactive versus reactive mm-hmm. approach, even when it comes like to like every episode. I think we've so far talked about that, that it's like if we could just be a little bit more proactive and like yeah. looking at things, it especially within med- like within healthcare, you're not then dealing with like the things that actually cost the system so much more money, like a heart attack or like long term healthcare stays or like anything like that. Totally. So, yeah. 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 So for all the women out there who are experiencing medical gaslighting, mm-hmm. what are your what's your advice to how do they should deal with it? What should we do? How do we advocate for ourselves? Not to plug myself, but definitely this is not sponsored by Thrive, but you should definitely go see Michaela. Um, having any practitioner on board to help guide you is really important. One that is willing to take the time, mm-hmm. educate you through that because it is hard to navigate on your own. Um, I mean, Google is great, but <laughs> sometimes having that knowledge and education can help you kind of sift through all that information because there's mm-hmm. a lot out there and every single time Google is going to tell you that you do have cancer yeah. and you yeah. might, but you might not. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of navigating that and having that professional help can be really important. Um, and yeah, I guess that would be the biggest thing. I'm laughing because when I went to go see um, Michaela for my first appointment, she was like, why are you taking this? And why are you taking this? And why? Because t- I like lifted all, listed all of my like supplements and everything. Um, and I was like, I truly don't even know. I just like I was just throwing things at the wall and hoping that it's on it. stick. Yeah. TikTok told me to. Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I was like, Dr. TikTok was very informed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's I think what a lot of people do is they're like, okay, like I have um, anxiety. So I'm going to take this like stress relieving thing if they can can't get like proper anxiety medication or whatever and then then you're like just have this whole like trough full of stuff that you're taking and you're like okay don't need to take all of it (laughs) yeah let's just refine this a little bit she helped me refine yeah Mm -hmm. and i try to explain that to people like supplements are like medications they should have a purpose Mm -hmm. most things you should feel a difference or like this is the mechanism of this thing that we should be taking for this amount of time and like there's some things that you're not going to feel anything like vitamin d for example but 
it's working in the background level mm-hmm. on immune system and inflammation, those kinds of things. But most things should have a purpose. And if we take a lot of things and we're not feeling anything, it's like it's probably not working. Mm-hmm. So let's save our money and be right. intentional yeah. with mm-hmm. our supplements. <laughs> Appreciate you saving my wallet and stay, stay off TikTok as well. Um, so the next question that we have is, so you talked about it being like periods or hormones and like um, uh, menopausal things that most women come to see you about. Mm-hmm. So how does your approach differ with a naturopathic medicine lens mm-hmm. compared to like, I'm using quotes, like Western medical practices, especially, you know, when it comes to potential gaslighting and that sort of thing? I try to kind of have like two approaches generally um, and try to meet patients where they're at because not everyone, like I said, can afford to do the testing. Mm -hmm. So I either try to go on symptoms like, okay, you're experiencing heavy periods and cramping and breast tenderness and your period, um, you're bleeding for a long time Mm -hmm. and your cycles are short. Okay. That tends towards um, the picture of estrogen dominance relative to progesterone. So right. I'm guessing, but that's what it sounds like. So we can do some treatment on that and kind of see how it goes. And, you know, in three months, if we don't see any change, maybe then we'll consider testing. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of that lens of like just using my own clinical experience mm-hmm. um, and what usually works. And sometimes I get it so wrong. Um, but I mean, that's just the risk that we take. Or we do the functional testing. We do blood work, whether that's trying to advocate and get it through a medical doctor, um, a really detailed look at your health, and then doing hormone testing mm-hmm. to actually see exactly what's going on. How are you metabolizing your hormones? What is the picture that's going on? And then we can treat based on that. Mm-hmm. And because oftentimes, like I said, I do get it wrong. Um, I just had a patient probably a few months ago and she did, it's called the Dutch test. It's a hormone urine Mm -hmm. test. And I was like, thank God we tested you because I would have treated you exactly opposite because for your age, we don't typically see these trends. So you would have actually probably gotten worse with my treatment had we not done the testing. So I like to test because then we just get our answers right? and then we use different nutraceuticals or herbs or um, diet lifestyle to try to achieve those results. Um, so that's kind of the premise of my practice. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, I advocate for getting certain imaging like ultrasounds. Like we mm-hmm. really need a pelvic ultrasound to see what is going on. I think you have PCOS, but that's going to confirm it for us or mm-hmm. endometriosis. Um, so kind of educating on them on that front. And then sometimes we need medication on board. So mm-hmm. educating them about that and then giving them resources. Oftentimes, for example, there's medications that maybe a medical doctor um, hasn't heard of or isn't as familiar with, and it has to be sent to a compounding pharmacy, which is a pharmacy that actually makes medications. Right. And there's only two in Regina. <laughs> so I'll give them the information on that and then also how to dose. And then usually when we have that information, they're more likely to prescribe because Mm -hmm. again, they don't have that time to necessarily look into that. So if we, if I can provide that for them and Mm -hmm. here's the data, here's how we prescribe it. This is what we're expecting. This is how we manage it. They're usually on board. So 
Um, I do incorporate some Western medicine, but I try to do it more functional, kind of get that testing or based off symptoms and then use our natural options as much as Mm -hmm. possible. I love the combination that Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. obviously there's benefits to both. And so like, and if we can work in tandem and like just get the best result for the person, then that's that's the, the goal. Yeah. It's exactly. not about me. It's not about me and my ego. Yeah. It's yeah. about the patient. Yeah. I've, I would also say like, I don't feel like you have an ego. You're like, I get it wrong. And I think that's a hard thing to say sometimes. So it's true. But it everything goes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right? And like, like, I mean, I think that's everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also a matter of like, I mean, you're not going to like poke and prod and like give somebody something insane and then they're going to like, you know, grow another head or something. It's like, <laughs> no. they're no. like, thankfully, no. Yeah. You're like, take some vitamin D. Mm, maybe that wasn't it. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So do you have any success stories that you can share in terms of um, like where your naturopathic approach has really um, seen a big difference and improved things for someone? I think the most, um, I I do have some success stories, quite a bit actually. I would say you have a lot. (laughs) Um, But I love the ones, um, the women struggling with fertility who get pregnant. I mean, because just bringing that new life into the world is so beautiful. Um, And one special story, I have a patient that she was going just about to go for down to the States for fertility treatments. And um, we got her on her plan. It was about October. She was supposed to go in about February. And then in January, we found out she was pregnant, so she didn't have to go. And it's I like, just That's literally it. got goosebumps. Yeah, like, oh, those just those stories. Um, and it's them doing the work. Yeah. You know, it's it's not me. It's their body just needing the right tools mm-hmm. to be able to do what it needs to do because our bodies are amazing. And mm-hmm. this is what women are built to do. Mm-hmm. So giving it those resources and her doing all the hard work, then she was rewarded for that. Nice. And that just makes me so happy so I, I have the best job in the world i think <laughs> you do so you awesome. really really do um so kind of closing out from your perspectives and our perspective what changes or improvements do you believe are necessary in the broader healthcare system to address um and prevent medical gaslighting particularly concerning women's health probably the biggest thing would be and i don't know if it's needing more medical doctors, but just allowing the time spent with patients Mm -hmm. to really obtain that information to get the right treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if we did more of that and listening to patients, even just that value of patients being heard, you know, I can have a visit with someone and literally prescribe them nothing, Mm -hmm. but they leave feeling so much better because they got that education and they got that understanding. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a huge difference in their health. So um, I just think that we need to work as a team, um, be willing to work with one another. Um, I'm totally willing to work with medical doctors, mm-hmm. any out there, hit <laughs> me up. Um, and so that would be wonderful to actually get to the root of some of these issues. But um yeah, listening to women and greater research into these conditions and what's causing them because unfortunately a lot of the research is done on males and mm-hmm. um, that just doesn't translate to women's concerns. Mm-hmm. So uh, more research, more time. And so that allows greater listening and understanding for the patient because that's who it's all about. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. And um, <laughs> again, not that we're sponsored by Thrive or Michaela, <laughs> uh, but if you are in Regina and you can definitely go see her because even just yeah. like I had, and I've shared this a little bit already, but like my own personal gaslighting experience and like feeling like I was insane and then going to see Michaela and I've seen her twice and now I'm like I'm so empowered to take care of my health <laughs> mm-hmm. and I feel so much better so thank Amazing. you thank yeah. you for that and that gift to people that you give thank you so that was super interesting mm-hmm. chat and um we kind of touched on it in the chat but we're going to get a little bit more into it about how to spot if you're being gaslit we kind of mentioned there I'm probably I've probably been gaslit before and I maybe not even known it because yeah. I don't know what are those what are those kind of tried and true things that the doctor does that make me or make me feel a certain way that is actually gaslit mm-hmm. gaslighting happening so i'll share some talitha's going to share some mm-hmm. listen up take note so the first thing is they interrupt you so a small study uh in 2018 found that on average clinicians interrupted their patients just 11 seconds into the conversation and i have to say this has totally happened to me like you're 11 like 11 seconds 11 seconds it's like let me tell you about my uh, amoxicillin no. or yeah. like whatever it is <laughs> like come on yeah um and so you don't even get your point across. You don't even get to share what your symptoms are. And they're like, oh, no, it's whatever, birth control, like whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so additionally, when, clini- when a clinician interrupts a patient, it signals that their time is more valuable than the patient. So again, not yeah. only do you not be heard, but it's just like, wow, that doctor doesn't even care. They're just like, give me the next person. Well, it's just like like what Michaela talked about and the fact that like it's not like she's like, it's about the patient. It's about like getting the results. So like, I mean, if... I know that doctors have like you get like 15 minutes with them and that's Mm -hmm. it when you go see them and so like if you if they could at least used to have more time and then like show that they care while you're there instead of being like amoxicillin or whatever especially when it's a like a medical medi center where they don't even know you like it's one thing when your family doctor where they know you they have your history they can look you up yeah I don't remember ever going to Medi Center and they actually pull my file up and like no. look at my history and no. then tell me what yeah. I'm getting or my child is getting. Well, like, and like also, it's like a, a place of privilege to have a medical, like a family doctor right now. Totally, like you, you can't, can't even, even get, get one. On the list. Yeah. yeah. So like even that. So then like imagine people who can't, who don't have a like a family doctor that yeah. they go to, who've known them since they were great you know, point. Yeah. Wee high. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the first thing is they interrupt you. You don't even get to share your mm-hmm. story or mm-hmm. your thoughts or your feelings. Um, yeah. The next thing, uh, another piece is they rush you. So a 2020 study found that the average primary care visit lasts 18 minutes. <laughs> that said, there isn't necessarily universally agreed upon duration that's ideal. So, yeah. uh, but what's important is that when you do go, that you feel like your physician has listened to you mm-hmm. and worked with you through your various treatment options. So it's not like, here you go. It's yeah. like, okay, but let's talk about it. Is there any other, and maybe I don't want to be on a medicine. Maybe I, can I yeah. try something else? They take the time to listen and take you through options for options, treatment, not just yeah. here it is. Um, another piece is they won't discuss your symptoms with you. I've had this. Uh, if a doctor doesn't take your symptoms seriously or won't have that two-sided discussion, um, this can lead to misdiagnosis or delayed diagnosis. Um, so again, they won't even right. take the time for you to hear all the things that you're going through or you know dig into those symptoms yeah. a little bit more to see the commonalities. One study found that one in seven clinical encounters involved a diagnostic error. One in seven, that's a lot. That's a lot. With 75% of these errors attributed to cognitive factors in a clinician's decision-making which are like overconfidence in wrong and a wrong diagnosis. So again, 
take the time. Yeah. Dig in your heels and don't leave that office until you're heard. So I like, I've heard this before, but um, they, and I've heard this from like other like people who worked in the healthcare system and they're like specifically for doctors. And this is no shade to doctors. And I know that we're like, we're yeah. kind of going in on it. Again, and, no shade. We were very lucky to have doctors. Like, yeah. Where would we be? But Oh yeah. Just, yeah. But like there's often surgeons will have um, like a God complex, like specifically mm-hmm. surgeons. And so, but then they're like on the one side of it, they're like, you want them to be so ridiculously overconfident right. because they're like operating on your heart mm-hmm. or like whatever it is. But then on the other side of it, you face things like this where they're like, no, no, no. I definitely know that like, it's just your period giving you like hallucin like you're seeing that's why you're having hallucinations yeah. and you're like oh, I, okay that's for sure 100 yeah um okay so then the next thing they so skylar said they rush you they interrupt you the next thing that you can watch out for is that they let underlying biases affect the diagnosis so underlying biases and social constructs such as racism, ableism, and good old misogyny may cause providers to make errors in their diagnosis. This can have consequences that are detrimental to health. A review in 2017 identified 30, 35 studies that showed evidence of bias in healthcare providers and found mm-hmm. that this bias leads to lower quality care. Here is some evidence of bias leading to delayed or misdiagnoses. Hmm. So first, a 2020 paper found that conditions such as cystic fibrosis, Lyme disease, and skin cancer are diagnosed later in Black people than white people. Hmm. In 2019, a study found that Black people were more likely to be misdiagnosed with schizophrenia, ultimate resulting in the incorrect treatment for the actual condition they have. And a study in 2014 found some women are more likely to be misdiagnosed than men after a stroke. Hmm. So like you fully have blood clot in your brain and something happened and they're like, I don't know. Again, I don't know what they're, they were misdiagnosing, right. but I assume that they'd be like, you just, you just need to go on birth control. Um, so the next thing is, and we talked about this and I've had this and I'm sure you have this guy, but that it's all in your head. Uh, or they misdiagnose you with a mental condition rather than go on to conduct further testing for a physical issue. Uh, I think, I mean, like, so very openly, and I know I've talked about this before, I have anxiety and I take medication for anxiety. And like, I know that I have anxiety because mm-hmm. like my like heart races and things happen. Um, but there are probably a lot of people who have been diagnosed with anxiety where they're like, no, you're actually like having a heart attack or like you have like a misfiring valve in your heart and that's why you have like palpitating right. heart. And, yeah. My favorite is I like hate going to the doctor. So you have to drag me kicking and screaming to go to the doctor for me. Yeah. But for my children, I go there a lot because they're, you know, kids are always sick. And my favorite is, oh, are you a first time parent? (laughs) You must be because like, why are you bringing up every single thing under the sun? And I'm like, no, like this, my child has been sick 12 times this year and she's been given the same amoxicillin a hundred times. I'm kind of worried she's becoming immune to it. Can we have something else? What's the underlying condition? But no, it's like, oh, you're just a first time parent. Like you're just over overthinking it well also like i mean antibiotics is like right not or is there another you. option <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah um so this misdiagnosis or even just saying that it's all in your head is particularly common with women potentially due to a lack of funding and research surrounding women's health issues again or like 
the historical compared to men studying mm-hmm. like of health issues. Healthcare providers may take a lack of evidence about women's conditions as evidence that there is a lack of illness altogether. Oh yeah. So like that. Yeah. yeah it's it like, just doesn't exist. So it must never have happened. Like, yeah. This must not actually affect women. Yeah. A 2014 survey of over 2,400 women with chronic pain, a condition that may not be pre- present visible symptoms, but like they're in pain. Um, so no visible symptoms, but it's easier for doctors to dismiss, found that 84% of respondents felt like they were treated differently because they were women. Mm-hmm. Feels good. 84%. Yeah. Um, The next thing is that they question the legitimacy of your medical history. So particularly in cases where a patient has a long list of medications and allergies, doctors may dismiss or question the legitimacy of their medical history. There may be an assumption that anyone with lots of medications and allergies is someone who catastrophizes their conditions or there's um, that hypochondriac label again. Yeah. Again, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. There is an association between allergies and depression and anxiety, and some doctors may blame the anxiety or depression and say that the allergies are in the patient's head rather Mm. than consider that there is an immunological component to mental health. Interesting. I didn't know that there is a There's like this is a very short little story, but I have a friend who her brother was like starting to develop um, like psychosis. Like he started to like go like they thought that maybe he had schizophrenia anyways like long story very short lots of testing he was celiac oh and like as soon as he cut out gluten his like all of his psychosis went away and like that's how his celiac wow. presented i mean that's also a man and different but like mm-hmm. the the connection between like allergies and mental health yeah, yeah that's hmm. that was incredible to learn yeah um, and then the last thing that they will do is that they are uncollaborative on treatment options So some gaslighting providers may not factor patient perspectives or concerns into treatment decisions. And of course, I mean, your, your physician is the expert in the field. So like not discounting that, but you should always have a say in your treatment plan and understand the process and like be able to ask questions. Like if they're going to give you something, you can ask a question as to like, why, why am I taking Why that versus that? Is it the only option? Can Mm -hmm. I do something else that's less intense? Yeah, less invasive, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we shared kind of the key red flags of knowing if you're being gaslit, what are you going to do about it? Let's let's share some tips. So first of all, trust your instincts. We talked about that gut, that intuition. And I know that was a piece of advice that... um, that the naturopath shared yeah. Michaela. So um, please do trust your instincts. If you feel there's something wrong, just there probably is. So mm-hmm. get a second opinion. Do what you need to do. Ask more questions. Dig your heels in. Take more time. They're not going to like pick you up and throw you out of their office. No. Like take your time. Um, educate yourself. Again, I know Google, Dr. Google, Dr. TikTok, whatever. <laughs> but the more research you can get mm-hmm. to bring the better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and get those second opinions with naturopaths or other types of specialists mm-hmm. to bring and say, like, here's some research. This is medical research. This is a, mm-hmm. a research paper. Um, seek a second opinion. Like I said, that's pretty um, case in point. And I know this is hard when you're like, I'm sick and mm-hmm. I don't have time to like go around and sit on waiting lists and you know, but some like if you want, sometimes it's the time is worth it to get the right diagnosis versus just the quick fix. And it's you probably end up sicker and, you know, contributes to a worse problem. So yeah, exactly. Seek that second opinion. Document your symptoms. This is a big one. My mom was always like, you got to are you taking notes? Like mm-hmm. I have a whole 
whole note on my phone <laughs> for my child, for both my kids, like what's happening, what da, da, da. When, you know, every time they go, like you got to document those symptoms yeah. um, because they'll probably ask you that. And so like, when was your last this? And it's like, I don't know. When yeah. did they do this? Who knows? But if yeah. you document, it helps. Um, communicate clearly. Write down those symptoms. Have your list of questions prepared before you even go to the the, mm -hmm. the appointment. Um, bring a supportive advocate. This is a big one. Yeah, I find I was if you say. have a parent or a friend or a spouse or whatever, but if you have someone else there to be like, you know, you debrief after the fact, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, was it just me, or was that a gaslit situation?" Or no, they can advocate for you and mm -hmm. help you, especially if you're someone who's not like super vocal or you know doesn't feel yeah. comfortable speaking up to a doctor. And like sometimes, even if you get like really scared or like yeah. overwhelmed, then like they can ask questions, or they'll just like at least can like remember things. Yeah, for you, totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So great idea. Bring mm -hmm. a supportive advocate. Um, request tests and ex examinations. Again, like Michaela said, if they're not testing, if they're not really looking into it mm -hmm. and they're just the straight off giving you a prescription without any questioning, any tests, request those tests first. Yeah. Um, consult another healthcare professional that's similar to kind of what I shared. Explore patient advocacy resources. Mm -hmm. So there's all types of things online for different uh, tools and tricks and organizations that specifically help at you advocate uh, for your own health. There's also like um, advocacy groups within and like um, like dedicated advocacy person people within hospitals and that mm -hmm. sort of thing too. So like if you happen to find yourself in a hospital, there's like a patient advocate who can be there to like help you oh, navigate things. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, file a complaint. So if you're in a situation where you've actually proved that you've been gaslit and you've been misdiagnosed, mm -hmm. like file that complaint. A lot of times I'm looking up before we do any type of go to see a doctor, like I'm looking up their um, <laughs> rate, my MD. rate my MD to see like, what are the results? Like, especially I know when yeah. I had my children, I'm like, okay, hey, um, which doctor do I want and not, and not want? Because this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So file that complaint. Those things are all, they stick with them mm -hmm. and you can read all those things. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, prioritize your mental health women. Like, like we shared, this is oftentimes you're being taught you're crazy. You're being f made to feel like you are crazy mm -hmm. by bringing your own intuition and your um, yep. gut instincts to the table. So prioritize your mental health. Remind yourself, I am not crazy. Do those things that you need to do to um, help you understand that this is not a, a mental problem. In a lot of cases, this is an actual legitimate concern that mm -hmm. you're allowed to have. Yeah. Your feelings are valid and yeah. they should be taken seriously. 100%. So with that, that is all we have for today. Thank you for joining us um, as we confronted yet again these terrifying but real life statistics impacting women and girls. In our next episode, we are going to be talking about the issues surrounding the gender pay gap and all the fun associated with that. So stay tuned for more ways to make a positive impact. Together, we can make the world a little less scary for women and girls. And if you're looking for other more information about Raise Her community, please check us out on um, social media at Raise Her Co. Follow us at the scaries at scaries.podcast and on TikTok at Raise Her Co. And remember that change uh, starts with awareness and action. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing here. We're giving the awareness. We're giving you the tips and the tools to take action. So thank you so much for being a part of the scaries community and making this world a little less scary for it to be a woman to exist. Bye. Bye. That was good.